0: What did we really expect though in the end I mean they they held it in February you know all the outrage has kind of you know
1: drained out of the room and I don't think the outrage is necessarily are no gone for their lives. I don't think the outrage is necessarily mm-hmm. gone I think the outrage is more it's more of like like steeped down and it's bubbling below the surface Oh yeah,
0: and like I just sort of get the vibe that like if um if it had come out that like actually the uh, the plan by the coupists who which we have totally discovered um because we were able to do an investigation this quickly um our plan was to shoot every senator in the head except for Josh Hawley or Lindsey Graham or. You know, one of Trump's favored senators. And that might have been like, oh, I'm not on the list. They think I'm expendable. I should convict this motherfucker. (laughs) But, you know, as we all know, that did not happen. And so there was no real urgency to convict him. Like you didn't find them personally, so what else is there? And like you know, most of them, most of them considered this a farce to begin with. Uh, we are, of course, talking about the Trump impeachment. The wait,
1: well, one. we're not talking Which... about a baseball game. I thought this was a base. I thought we were mm-hmm. talking about a baseball game.
0: No, of course not. <laughs> Unfortunately,
1: <laughs> but it but it's electoral sports ball. Don't you throw a ball in sports in the sports? Well, I mean, I think that like if they had gotten in, they could have thrown grenades. But that's not quite the so same wait, thing. Uh, is is the is the ball here? Is mm-hmm. the ball the nuclear football? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but uh. You know, guy, guys and gals and uh, my non-binary friends, it is your pal, your, your friend, your co-host of Chop Shop Economics, it is Dr. Quinzel, it is Harley Quinn, and today joining me in the studio are
2: Miss Silver, <laughs> and Dr. Spider.
1: so uh where where do you keep your other legs you say you're a doctor spider but uh where are your legs
2: oh you know that's a
0: very rude
2: question to ask a spider person (laughs) well you know it's like spider jerusalem kind of spider person like Ah. a you know slightly less demented hunter s thompson send up
1: so wait were you uh Bitten by a spider in Jerusalem, and now you have superpowers and, like, extra legs?
2: Um, more like, uh, it rotted my brain so I can actually understand finance.
1: H- how is that mm-hmm. a superpower? That sounds like a curse.
2: Eh. It's got its ups.
1: <laughs> I do like uppers. <laughs> But, uh, you know, we might as well start on taking those us and, uh, what the hell is going on with this gets... boss? Yeah, so,
0: I mean, of course, you know, we dispense with the Trump impeachment nonsense. Um, let's move on to, like, you know, something that actually fucking matters, like, um, The IMF, in a shocking turn of events, praises Egypt's protectionist, highly interventionist response to COVID.
2: Yeah, that happened. Really. The IMF (laughs) said those words in that order. Well, specifically, Uh it was an IMF monetary director. But yeah, they actually uttered high neoliberal heresy.
1: So wait, I've been uh, feeding this data into my brainiac computer and it keeps saying does not compute
2: <laughs> you're right <laughs> well and
0: it probably helps that like you know Egypt has Egypt is you know a reliable ally of the United States and the USSR but
1: we don't talk about
2: that used um, to be that's how Nasser got the Soviets to build the Aswan High Dam for free.
1: Well, they, they, also mm-hmm. sa- they also said that they feel closer to the PRC right now than they do to the United States, but we don't talk about that. We just send them government funding.
2: Well, yep. you know, it's the old Egyptian right. thing since independence. We're going to play both the players against each other and see who gives us the best deal.
0: And it's like, with the IMF, it's like, I don't know, somehow they managed to escape the trap that so many end up falling into, which is, you know, structural adjustment.
2: So what are we talking about when we're talking, you know, policies that violate the Washington Consensus? Like, what exactly is it that the IMF is going, hey, you did a good over...
0: So, basically, Egypt went into early lockdown. Like, they, they jumped on this shit really, really quickly. And because of that, they were able to hold down the numbers. And so, things didn't get out of control like it did um, in the West. And, well... Oh yeah. And I mean it, it did help that like um as friend of the, one of our friends in the show points out, um there was at the time a sandstorm occurring, you know, coterminous with like the uh the first cases. So they were like, Yeah, you know how you you don't leave during the sandstorm? Well we would really rather you not leave. Don't worry, we'll do delivery and all that. We'll make it work, um, and yeah, and that that worked surprisingly. That that did the trick. Um, I mean, it's like you know, obviously, things didn't go perfectly to plan, but you know, they came out of it better than most. I mean it's it's amazing what you can do when you have a you know semi-functional government um and I don't know um any of you care to jump in back me up on
1: this I mean I think it's. uh, what what do you want to say doc what what are your spider legs wiggling about tell me the spider wiggles
2: So the, like, part of what Egypt's been doing is a lot of really direct, like, here, we're going to loan money to companies on a massive scale so that you can make it through this absolute mess that is COVID. Essentially. Like, on a massive scale. And they began this early on. They were sending, basically doing what you're supposed to do, but in a functional way. Not in a, hi, yeah. we have to dick around in Washington, D.C. and argue over it because the rooster crows at midnight.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like, I'm sure there were arguments, and if that friend of the show were here, he could make them for us. But, like, the thing is, is like, they flouted all the usual washington orthodoxies and they got away with it their economy is growing um
1: which shouldn't happen but it did. don't you see when you give money to poor people it actually hurts the economy because it's a moral hazard i think that's at least what i was reading in an economics like textbook uh yeah i don't know how reality works Mm -hmm. But I mean, (laughs) yeah, no, that's not how, that's not how, but yeah, I mean, in all seriousness, (laughs) it's like, yeah, like literally like what you're supposed to do, like in a crisis like this is like, you know, help out the Philly industries, like, you know, don't let them like, don't let executives pocket the money, like actually, you know, put it towards like productive uses, uh, like help out regular people, make sure that they're not struggling with like rent or food or just basic necessities, like. How we've talked about before is, like, you know, in the United States, if you want to, like, de-escalate this current crisis, like, we need to have, like, massive social democratic measures on a very wide scale. That's what Egypt's been doing. And because they've been doing that, they've been succeeding very well, and that's why the IMF decided to, like, swallow their pride and pat Egypt on the back.
0: Yeah. And it's, like, it doesn't hurt that, like, you know, Egypt has been making moves to secure its own um, you know financial independence like you know the bond issues and uh, things of that nature where they were like well we're a port in the storm um, You uh, here's bonds that will only pay out in our currency um, enjoy <laughs> and people bought them
2: <laughs> yeah and that's allowed them to effectively print foreign currency reserves like nobody's business which is a thing that's been like a big hold that western powers have had since decolonization is if you're going to be buying or acquiring capital from like international investment particularly from you know DC and what have you you have to go to the IMF. You have to go to yeah. Western Banks, and they all play by these same rules. Well, now, and which means you need coin of the right kind. Otherwise, you're going to be paying through the nose at massively leveraged prices against you. Not in your favor at all. Yeah.
0: And it's like, it is worth noting that, like, Egypt absolutely did take... Um, Uh, They absolutely did take money from the IMF during May and June to basically, um, you know, shore up their foreign uh, currency reserves and keep the plates spinning. And, well, you know, it actually fucking
1: I think there's, like, three major things that are happening right now. Um Okay, so one, um, and I think probably Silver can help get into this with me is um, Silver, you know how like in like MMORPGs, there's like what has usually commonly term is called a uh, money sink. Like they'll get these like very, very expensive items that require a lot of like, you know, money and resources that you get from like, you know, like, you know, like messing around with your character. And it's a way that like a lot of these, like, you know, MMO economies basically prevent, you know, things from going into like hyperinflation, and like, uh, you know, just having some semblance of the economy making sense. Um, and why I bring that up is the way that the egyptian bond structure is set up for like how they've been doing it is that like when you get the egyptian bonds like it, it requires american dollars it requires you know european uh it requires euros but it doesn't pay out in dollars it doesn't pay out in euros it pays out in egyptian currency they've basically created a money sink where it's like if any investors want to get in on the Egyptian economy, they basically have to play by its rules. And, like, having that sort of, like, you know, this, like, growing accumulation of foreign currencies has meant that, like, you know, that sort of, I guess, uh, currency wizardry that the Western powers have done in order to fuck over other countries to maintain the Washington consensus, they have a much harder time doing it now. Um,
2: Especially because they have to go to wherever the money is at this point and the money is in Egypt.
1: Mhm. Yeah, and I think that points out to like my second point is that the like um and I guess you could probably incl- include the third in it is that like the centers of global capital are shifting. Like look has, you know, neoliberal capitalism right now is in a terminal stage. Like even like the haughtiest of the bourgeoisie can see that neoliberal capitalism is breaking down under COVID-19. It's simply not sustainable. And the country, like the capitalist countries that have been able to manage this crisis much more effectively have been the ones who've taken much more state capitalist measures, much more protectionist measures, much more interventionist measures. Like they are the ones who have survived this crisis. And like, you know, say whatever you want to we want about like the you know the bourgeoisie especially the haute bourgeoisie they want to maintain their power in the long term like the well the smart ones do and they recognize that the winds are shifting and if they don't adjust they're gonna lose power so it's like i think this is uh what's happening with the imf is an expression of that it's it's a symptom it's a sign of the changing material conditions throughout the entire global world system
0: Yeah. I mean, it really helps that, like, for example, Egypt controls their own currency. Um, (laughs) They're not just, like... And their currency isn't, like, you know, pegged to the dollar or pegged to the euro or uh, pegged to the French franc, um, you know, as things used to be um, in some countries. It's, like, they... They have their own currency, so they can enact their own monetary policy. It's just usually you don't get to exercise that. But in this environment, where you know there, there's capital flights, but there's not enough places to absorb that capital flight. Uh, prospects like Egypt's, um, you know, bond issue and things of that nature of you know measures to attract foreign investment that stuff especially when
1: egyptians Um, when egypt's economy is growing like quickly at that mm -hmm. like that is literal catnip for like the bourgeoisie like especially in this like big exactly especially in this like big global crisis like, they want to keep making money. And if they're having a hard time making money in the United States, in Europe, they're going to put their money elsewhere. Yeah. And I And I think the last thing um, is that I think the teeth that the Washington Consensus had for a while, that if you broke the Washington Consensus, like... You would get a coup, you would get militarily invaded, like, you know, bad things would happen to you, like, you'd have the United States breathing down your neck, and look at the United States right now, like, the last time we tried to coup a country, it, you know, it, you know, reversed itself, and in... how, how long did it take for the, like, Bolivia coup to, like, um, reverse itself? Yeah. Bye. Hey. Yeah, about a year. year. And, like, you know, and the imperial war machine for, like, the United States is, like, it does not have the capacity to go charging in, like, a berserker to, like, another country that decides to, like, slightly defer from the Washington consensus. Like, the United States does not have the the military capacity and the espionage capacity to enforce the Washington consensus like it used to. Yeah. And
0: it's, like, they they keep putting their eggs all in one basket in terms of like they're incredibly specialized. A lot of the alphabet agencies um, are incredibly specialized in terms of like their foreign intervention policy. Um, so like you know it used to be the USSR that they were countering um, and now it's you know the middle east and yeah and it's like their capabilities in the americas have been withering for some time like it's not it's not the 80s anymore and like
1: here's Um, the thing is like we talked about this earlier with egypt is like Egypt for a long time, I and mean, their classical foreign policy, ever since Nasser has been to play like the like superpowers of the world against each other, so Egypt gets the best deal. Mm-hmm. And like, let's say the the United States, like hypothetically, were to respond ho- like hostily towards Egypt and try, you know, a military invasion or a coup or you know something in order to restore power, like or attempt to restore power, like yeah, that would clearly. Sh- like Egypt has, like you know, to a degree, played the United States game for a while. Not completely, but they've paid lip service. But if the United States like comes in like an eight hundred pound gorilla, Egypt's not going to be playing lip service. They are going to like, they're not going to be quiet about like how they're closer to the PRC. They are going to go full on like to the other side. Yeah, and. And the thing is, like, Egypt has been a big part of like uh, the United States, like, maintaining its influence over like North Africa and the Middle East. So if they lose, like, the United States has been like its empire, its power, its ability to project power has been reducing. So if they lose Egypt, yeah. like, then it just means they have Israel, and like, you can do a lot with Israel, yeah. but Israel that's and not they the state. have like the yeah, Saudis, basically. Like Saudi Arabia, the Saads really are matter. unreliable. <laughs>
0: i mean it's like yeah they want that they want saudi arabia on their side but it's like the uh, these people are not nearly as reliable in executing the interests of the united states in the way that like israel is or that egypt in the past has had to be um you know under like Mubarak and such Mubarak how the how, fuck how do you pronounce them? Mubarak Mubarak thank you
2: yeah um Egypt is no longer a reliable like proxy at this point and they're not going to be the only ones who jump ship like this because there's plenty of other examples of other countries that have like, for example, um, Japan's economy is largely rebounding, as is South Korea's large, because in part, they didn't have to do this shit. Um, yeah. They were early in the lockdowns, like, you know, meh, we, the United States, really should have been. Even, like, to a lesser extent, we're seeing a similar rebound in Europe. So, you yeah, know, this isn't just like happening in a vacuum these are people who have effectively like like, and governments that have gone you know what there is a more efficient way to do this and we're just gonna do the more efficient approach cause duh
0: yeah (laughs) you think that brings us to plague news
2: yup So, yeah, speaking of plague news, (laughs) the U.S. is going full bore on its reopenings. And particularly in New York State, Governor Cuomo has announced the reopening of indoor dining. Yes, you heard that right. This isn't the onion, they're actually doing that.
0: Yeah, he was like um, a couple of weeks ago. He was like, you know, fuck the experts. Um, I'm better than them, basically. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't trust experts. I don't need to trust experts, and it's like he went full Boris. Yeah, and it's like, well, I mean, I guess, <laughs> I mean, all the fucking. Homosexual idiots now um, look really fucking stupid, and
2: they should. Absolutely. Um, like, this is them. This is their boy fucking it up.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, he is horny to just completely restart business on the backs of the proletariat. Um, you know, just march every single fast food worker in New York City into the pandemic.
1: Could we actually I feel just, like um we could like explain why like you know maybe whatever personal reasons like you know he's acting trumpian cuz I mean he's doing very similar moves that Trump did. It's just he's blue. It's literally just the the only difference. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, we're a political economy podcast. Like, what is happening with New York C- New York City's political economy and New York State's political economy? Like, what indications there have led us to this point where Cuomo feels like he has to fuck the coronavirus?
2: Well, it's like yeah. the same indications um, that drove uh, the reopenings in the red states. This isn't anything new. This is... Like, the way that all of these governments, local, federal, state, draw their revenue, assumes that the economy will be open. And assumes that there will be um, prop, you know, that there will always be revenue coming in from government. From, like, business operations. And that's how everything gets funded. If Business operations shut down too long. They can't stay open. Like everything depends on income taxes, revenue-based taxes, um, and all these other things that really kind of mean that you can't shut down business this way without it having serious consequences.
0: Yeah.
1: And so I guess, I think I guess my question like is, what's the reason? What's different now? Like, why is he going fuck the experts compared to like earlier before?
2: Because Biden's asking for it. I mean,
0: it's...
2: Biden has been pushing hard for things like school reopenings as part of his policies. And I think there is a genuine drive to an extent to really bring things back to normal.
0: Yeah, I think it's like... Yeah, Cuomo is Blue MAGA, but that's... I, I think that, like, that kind of reflects, you know... A lot uh like you know at least some of the factions within like Biden world, which is we've gotta reopen the economy. we cannot keep doing this um and besides the vaccine is here, the problem is solved what where are you where are you pigs waiting for aren't aren't you ready to rejoin the economy and it's like you know at the same time. They're like, you know, sending doctors to jail for um, distributing, you know, surplus doses to the wrong people.
1: And can we, who are the wrong people? Let's 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 not, you know, waffle around there. Who are they defining as the wrong people?
0: Anyone who is not on the correct waiting list? Um, and has not, you know, paid the correct amount of bribes to uh, jump the line.
1: So Um, what you're saying is that essential workers aren't the first people getting these vaccines? The people on the front lines aren't the one getting the vaccines? Are you saying that it's actually the lanyards uh, who are getting the vaccines? Is that what you're implying, Silver? I mean, it's more
0: it's less that and more like, okay, so the whole the whole situation is coming about because like, first off, you know, the vaccines that are approved for use um, are not particularly shelf-stable. Like, even the Moderna vaccine has like an expiration time. You know, about six hours. And So, it's like, you puncture one of those vials, you have to use it. And you have to use it up within, like, a few hours. With um, the other one, you have to use it within, like, an hour. And so, it's like... At some point, you gotta admit that, like, you need to let people jump the, uh, the queue so that these doses are not wasted. Because these doses are a precious resource. Um, So anyone who doesn't otherwise meet the eligibility requirements needs to get them anyway, because eventually we're going to have to inoculate everyone. And it's better to inoculate them now um, when... It's better to inoculate them now with, like, you know, the surplus doses on the edges, then let them go to waste because, you know, that vial is worthless. Like, whether you put one, where you only take one dose out of it, or 11. Um, it's, it's equally worthless after that six hours. So it has to be used, and the way things are working, they're starting to run out of people who they can just, like, drag in to, um, you know, get it normally. Like, remember when that freezer failed in Seattle and they had to, like, you know, find 600 people to take shots? Like, they didn't do that by just, like, grabbing everyone from the waiting list. Though, that was their first point of contact. They just put the doses in arms and that's been the guidance except except that like a lot of the psychos who run the state governments have decided that that's criminal um yeah it's like the whole point is to vaccinate everyone it's just we have to do this in a specific order, so that you know the most vulnerable among us aren't fucked over. But they they want to be seen to be taking a hard
1: line on this shit, and so, I mean I don't even think it's like um, th- they're trying to you know look as they're trying to like look like they're like the fair arbiters. I think it's the sense that, like, Mm -hmm. they. It's what has been unspoken in, like, under, like, white supremacist neoliberal capitalism for a long time that there are those people who deserve more, and there are those people who deserve less. And those people who deserve more fit the mythical norm, and those people who. You just supposedly deserve less you know are usually like lower class aren't aren't usually why are disabled uh you know marginalized in different ways like and i think the reason why they're so mad about like you know the practical realities is you know as soon as you like you know start using like of like a vaccine vial you have to vaccinate people is because it sort of just goes against this sort of like ru- this heuristic this rule of hierarchy that they've had in their brains where they're just kind of like oh the poor people like the people of color the marginalized people you know they're they're more likely to get this they're going to be getting this and they're going to be surviving and like yeah things will be stable for us but we don't get to like you know soak in the blood of the oppressed and like i mean that sounds exaggerated but i'm not wrong
2: i think that's part of it but i think it's also that there is just this really dumb kind of like technocratic sense of there is a correct way and an incorrect way to do things and we are the experts who know what the right way is based on the priorities that have been set by you know by the capitalist class by the people in power i mean this is why newsom is flipping his shit that labor in california has been steadfastly going yeah we're not marching anyone into the killing fields so you could like fucking shove it up your ass please in-person instructions not resuming get over it Um,
0: and I think it's like part of it is definitely like you know one aspect of you know this technocratic thinking crashing against the other half which is like I mean it's like it's in a lot of the guidance like if there's no one else in the queue, then you start Who's then next? it's free for all. Yeah. Like once once the vial is punctured, like that's it. Like all of the, you know, oh so careful math goes out the window once you drop hello like it's they want to listen to the experts, but when that's inconvenient or when it you know, fails to uphold the u- outcomes they want, then they get mad about it, because it's like you know the the correct public health thing to do is to go free for all once you're no longer sure that the the final vial will be used. Exactly. Or you know, if you have like another freezer failure disaster if you're no longer sure that it will be used on the timeline it's supposed to be used then it opens up to everyone and that's there because we can't afford to waste doses like there there are obvious public health policy recommendations around this for this reason and they don't care about any of that because they want they want the appearance of good policy, but they don't care about policy. I mean, I think
1: that, like, you know, tying in, like, what you're saying to, like, what I was saying earlier is, like, like, as you were mm-hmm. saying, like, they want to, like, have the appearance of listening to the experts until, like, the experts are saying something that goes against them, because it's, like, they want, yeah. like, they view experts as, sort of, like, this source of legitimacy for them and because they want to maintain their power like when we talk about these ideas of like meritocracy or like technocracy it's like people think like oh you just put like the right experts in power and it'd be fine and dandy but the thing you have to realize about technocrats is like they're they have their own interests they have their own material interests they want to maintain their power and like these like you know like beige dictatorship lanyard types they want to maintain their power and like if they'll like if the experts are saying stuff that is inconvenient to them maintaining their own power, they're not going to go, like, they're going to be very angry. Just look at Cuomo. Look at, like, Newsom. Like, look at all of these, like, you know, all these politicians who have, like, lanyards, like, shoved so far up to their ass that the lanyard has come out of their mouth and is hanging around their neck again.
2: That's what, like, people are supposed to do, what they're telling them to do, and the pearls aren't cooperating. How dare they?
0: Yeah, and it's like, I mean, in a sense, we all want this to be over, but the bourgeoisie—they don't. They are not, you know, they're not robots that you know take along to like perfect policy initiatives. That that's not. I and mean, it's a misconception
1: work. a lot of like leftists have that like you know that like the bourgeoisie will always do the things that is in their you know long term material interest and yeah sometimes that is the case but like we have to keep in mind that that's more of a heuristic that's not a hard line rule like yeah sometimes they make mistakes yeah. yeah very much so
2: and this is one of those
0: times and
1: ah <sighs> <sighs> And I I do think wow. like on actually we could probably talk about like the labor element of this cuz I find well actually was probably did we talk about Newsom before we want to get into Um labor? we
2: touched on it I mean I think that's a good enough
1: Um but I do I do think yeah. like what we're seeing with like you know teachers unions um is incredibly interesting because they're basically saying like no we are not going to march into like the killing fields like we're not going to cooperate with this like death cult policy that you want and that is Like, even despite all the horrific shit that's happening right now, that is a really good sign of labor militancy.
2: Oh, yeah. And that actually gets us to a really good example of the labor militancy that's just been kicking up everywhere lately. where Flight for 15 is calling for on February 16th a nationwide fast food fast food workers strike demanding that the bare minimum that is a $15 an hour wage be implemented yeah and,
0: and it's like you can argue that like that's not enough but I mean fuck it's a damn good start
2: Like let's be real with inflation, for minimum wage to actually be a living wage, this would, we would have needed to have passed the fifteen an hour wage like five years ago, a decade, at most.
0: More like a decade, I think. But you're not wrong. It's more like twenty five now.
2: At this point,
0: that just yeah, that just goes to show how you know. Seven twenty-five an hour is a sick joke, and so hell yeah i I hope they succeed today. Yeah, um, I mean this is day of recording, um. So you know, I hope they succeed in their action.
2: And... Absolutely. <sighs> like the more pressure oh. they can bring to bear, the better, and. You know anywhere else where you know stuff like the kind of austerity that they're imposing on universities like there are like faculty in places that are talking about pushing back
0: yeah and this is and like a lot of you know the frustrations and struggles around vaccination have been around like you know for example executives getting to jump the queue while um you know none of the frontline workers who have to deal with you know the daily threat of covid exposure um and of you know becoming a super spreader within their own hospital um where that is you know ignored because well you know we only have so many doses and i pay your bills so
2: i get the jab (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, It's
0: like fuck you. It's
2: like people are appropriately going, get fucked. That's bullshit. I'm not going to die so that you can have your private island, Jeff Bezos. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: As they should be.
1: And (laughs) And like that's an exciting sign. It's people people are saying like, you know, are are saying enough. They're saying, like, no more. Like, that is what we need right now. Because, like, when we talked about the whole, like, ridiculous shit with, like, electoral sports ball and just the fucking wet fart, that was the impeachment trial. Like, the second impeachment trial. But it's just, like, we're seeing very, very exciting things going on with labor militancy right now. And it's, like, if you're listening to this, I mean, I'm sure you're either already part of the choir or you're thinking like, well, what does this do for me? Well, thinking about this way, like if when we like when we have strong unions, people are able to, you know, afford food. People are able to afford rent. They're able to afford health care. They're able to afford all the basic necessities. You know, what feeds the economy? Mm-hmm. Like when people are able to pay for the basic econ- the basic necessities of life. They haven't been able to do that for a long time. Like that's a big part of why the. American capitalist economies have been decaying for a long time. Like, you want things to stay, like, do you want things to stabilize? Get money into these people's pockets. Like, support that. If you are, if you're a worker who's, like, in a union, your union should be striking. You deserve better. Um, If you don't have a union, like, there are so many resources out there. Like, talk to people online. Talk to, like, you know, your local unions. Like, the Teamsters are really militant and there's other really militant unions like if you're a shore worker if you're a shore worker you already have a union that's very militant but it's like if you want to protect yourself if you are tired of those like bourgeois terminator fuckers who expect you to die while they buy another yacht while they buy another private island you need a union we all need a union yeah
2: and you have an absolute right to organize to strike to talk about Your like these are all things that are legally like guaranteed you are allowed to talk about like your salary with other workers you are allowed to ask what the pay is from hr for your department it's absolutely illegal for your boss to be like yeah that's an uncomfortable conversation um and it is legal i mean you don't want to do it on the workplace because it doesn't practically work this way but you know you do have a right to organize unions and strike
1: and the thing that we need—we need to acknowledge—is that for all of this shit, and there's a lot of shit with the Biden administration. Like, you know, at least when it comes to labor rights—well, except for teachers. Except for teachers, like, and un- labor rights, like, this is the most like labor-friendly administration since Lyndon B. Johnson. Like, you like don't think the Biden administration is your friend, but do realize that the tides are changing right now, and all you have to do is like you know, maneuver your boat in the right way, uh, just sails and we can go zooming towards a better future for labor, a better future for ourselves and for our children and their children.
2: Pretty much. We can yeah. get a lot more than what it is we've been told we have to suck it up and deal with. So, you know, go out there, organize, get your fellow workers on the picket line because that's the only shit that's ever really worked
1: and it's just like do keep in mind that like there's a lot of like labor organizing tactics that uh you know are either on not strictly illegal or legal like on like a great on, like, the fuzzy little border, and then you also have labor tactics that are illegal, but just because something is, like, discouraged, just because something is, like, said to be illegal doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. Like, you know, like, what we've been seeing the last few years is this huge wave of labor militancy, of wildcat strikes, and do keep in mind, wildcat strikes are illegal. Like, legally, you are not supposed to do that. They're... Uh, But... Oh,
2: yeah, they are incredibly illegal. You are so not supposed to do a wildcat strike. However... But we have... You know, yeah, you're listening to this podcast.
1: <laughs> yeah, so. and like we've had multiple, like <laughs> you know, multiple workers at multiple workplaces who have done wildcat strikes and have won their strikes. Think about that. Think that's about that where matters. power comes from. Power doesn't come from the law. It comes from your own hands. It comes from labor. You have the power in your hands already. It's with you with your yep. comrades all around you. You just have to seize it. You have to make the leap. And I know that's scary, it's terrifying, because what happens if you get fired? What happens if you get fucked over? That's why you have your comrades, that's why you have your fellow workers, all the people around you who support you, those are the people who will look out for you. They. If somebody decides to fuck you over, like, then your comrades are supposed to help you. And if you see somebody fuck over one of your comrades, you bring out the knives. I do not exaggerate. Mm-hmm. Because if we want to win, we need to be organized, we need to be militant, and any slight against us, we have to pay back a thousandfold.
2: So yeah, and something that's a bit, you know, more the direction of the kind of stupidity we should expect from the capitalist class. <laughs>
1: Oh, God.
2: So, you know that thing called Bitcoin?
1: What about coins? Like, are we talking about metal coins? Are we talking about, like, candy coins? Uh, What kind of coins?
0: We're talking about the coins made
2: out of bits and Dunning-Kruger. Can
1: I, can I eat them? Can I eat these coins?
2: But they do take more no. power to generate than, you know, is consumed by the entire power grid of the country of argentina
1: so wait i let me get this straight i can't eat the coins they are they require a huge amount of power what what's the point of these coins
0: um but they're speculative instruments that you can use to buy other speculative instruments and sell other speculative instruments um, Don't So what worry, you're saying it's is,
1: isn't it a currency? You're saying that this is just another bullshit bourgeois financial instrument that's dressed up in f- fancy language.
2: Basically,
0: I mean it. Yeah, I mean it didn't necessarily start out that way, but we can't look at like what things were supposed to be when they were written in, up in the white paper. We have to look at how. Bitcoin and all that other crap is used now. And now it's just, you know, speculative bullshit. Like, even if you want to pay for, like, you know, shady things on the internet, you can do much better than trying to use fucking Bitcoin. Because the transaction fees are murder. I mean, it is environmental murder. The whole thing about it was supposed to be, like, I mean, the whole thing about it was supposed to be, like, oh, well, transaction fees are supposed to be super cheap. They'll be, like, even cheaper than credit cards, and now it's, like, to do anything on the network, you have to pay, like, hundreds of dollars in transaction fees so that you get a confirm.
2: Yeah, it's... (laughs) And... So now... All for, like, a $20. (laughs) So what does that bring us to? Well, the Bank of New York Mellon, which is a pretty significant (laughs) investment bank all things considered Mm -hmm. has just announced that they will be providing guidance and support for investors who want to get into Bitcoin. Yeah.
0: They, um, and this drove the latest spike in the price. Um, Basically, what they want to do with it is they want to be able to play with it the same way that retail investors play with it. Um, Because it's like, from the perspective of like, you know, like a strict institutional investment perspective, it's not entirely stupid to have, you know, this sort of shit. Because it's like it's another speculative asset class that you can repackage and derivativeize and all that are fun stuff. Um, it's just a little regulatorily weird, but it, and at the end of the day, you can turn it into derivative soup nonsense. Um, if you wave the magic words around that your quants gave you. Um.
2: (laughs) Because that's finance. Really. It is fucking black magic. Um. (laughs) And so, in
0: the end, the whole the dream of replacing gold with internet bits has been turned into yet another fucking speculative asset. I'm sure we did all see this coming.
2: Oh, of course not. Oh, no. Nobody could have possibly foreseen.
0: (laughs) I mean, it's like, you know, the only value of Bitcoin is basically, you know, other people are holding the bag and you know, each holder wants the other bag holders to hold on so that they can sell. But if they sell too much, then, you
2: know. It's your usual financial musical chairs.
1: Wait, are you telling Mm -hmm, me mm -hmm. like Bitcoin is just a fucking game of chicken? A game of chicken that, mind you, requires more electricity right now than Argentina and is going to keep requiring more Mm -hmm. electricity. Are you telling me that's just that's what this is? It's just a big electronic game of chicken?
2: And Bank of New York Mellon getting in means bigger institutional investors are going to get in and make it a bigger Game of Chicken.
0: Oh, yeah. And all of this is done on the backs of
2: Chinese coal
0: power. Um, Because, like, one of the promises of Bitcoin was that it was never going to be, like, accountable to, like, any governments because, you know, governments are evil and, like, I can't blame them for thinking but it's like, in practice, what's happened is a bunch of Chinese millionaires now have big mining farms that they are stealing butt coins and power from the power grid to power this. And, like, you know, China has been having power problems recently. And it's partly because of shit like this. Because... If you want to maintain your position in the network, you want to be able to secure it against a 51% attack, which means you need to run miners of your own. And so, that's why it consumes the power of Argentina. Yeah. And like everyone else can go to hell, including, you know, Chinese residential customers.
1: And I think that's just, like, Mm -hmm. it's such, like, a ridiculous move. It's just, like, sooner or later, I mean, I've already heard noises, like, from, like, the PRC, like, for, like, a number of, like, uh, like, in the last few years that, like, sooner or later they're planning to crack down on, like, Bitcoin and other kinds of these electronic games. Oh, it's
0: partly illegal already. Um, It's, like, a lot of this is, yeah, it's, like, a lot of this is illicit. Like, there are people in Russia who, like, they're not just tapping power from substations. They have, like, their own pirate high-voltage transformers, specifically so they can steal electricity to power miners. Holy fuck. This is... I, I wish I was We're making literally, this Literally,
1: okay... The thing that just kind of baffles me, like, what this reminds me of, like, this reminds me in the same way of, like, the process of how, like, cancer, like, starts to consume a body and, like, basically, like, steal resources yes. from, like, other parts of the body in order to feed itself. This is basically electronic cancer. How? <laughs> how? On their entire electrical infrastructure. Point. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Like, here's the thing. At this point. Half of all data center power activity, half of it is dedicated to Bitcoin and to other coins.
2: That actually sounds like a good segue for something else that's happening with power on a massive scale. <laughs>
0: Oh, now they can overclock their miners to get more hash rates. <laughs> because, as you may have heard, the entire middle of the United States is—it's gone frostpunk. Everything's frozen.
2: Yeah. Wait,
1: are, this... are we? Are we? Are we in the day after tomorrow timeline?
2: Something like that. Mm-hmm. Apparently. Okay. But this time it's going to be with cool steampunk prosthetics.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, we joke about this, but basically what happened was there was the polar vortex, which is partly why this episode is so fucking late. Um, By the time we figured, okay, we need to do something, like, you know, shit was going haywire. And, like, we couldn't make it happen. Things have calmed down enough, we can do things now, even though, you know, we're in an area that's less affected. In, like, Texas and places like that, um, they've been having capacity problems because the natural gas has frozen. Um, some of the wind turbines have frozen. And so they're basically powering only the rich neighborhoods in Dallas and everyone else is just having to endure like rolling blackouts. That's that's basically how it's working now. I mean Pretty like much. we've um, And I mean, it's we made love... worse
2: by that Texas in their desire to not have anything to do with federal regulations on electricity when hey we are going to uh, completely keep our power grid in the state of texas we are not going to have it connect with any other grid with the rest of the u.s because the rest of the united states is on either the eastern interconnect or the western interconnect which is divided at the rockies um and because of that falls under federal jurisdiction but you know Mm -hmm. texas so texas politics went hey fuck that We want to be able to do whatever we want. The hell of it is... is,
0: (laughs) I mean, the hell of it is is it doesn't even cover all of Texas. Um, It's just most of it. (laughs) I mean, at this point, they're, like, buying power from Mexico because it's cheaper. Um, And the power problems aren't just within Texas. Like, a lot of points north are... You know, stressed to the limit um, in terms of power generation capacity because, you know, they're subject to the same laws of physics that um, Texas is. It's just that Texas's grid is less able to absorb the impact. Um, so they were kind of the canary in the coal mine for the Eastern Air Connect region. Um, and so a lot of people are learning so how do you uh, take care of yourself during a major winter storm that's knocked out the electricity and the water and in some cases the gas the answer is not pretty
1: yeah yeah i mean i think and i think it's also interesting to point out just how the effects of like deregulation have affected like the Texan power grid is that like I mean like a lot of people in like the alternate history community will joke about like you know balkanization this balkanization that like this is a weird example of balkanization but look at the Texan power grid is that we're not talking about like this one cohesive power grid we're talking about a lot of different I guess describe them as electronic fiefdoms and, like, how, like, things work in Texas is that, like, the company that maintains the utility lines and, like, the electrical infrastructure and the company that sells, you know, that's, you know, sells you service, are like, often what'll mm-hmm. happen is in an area it's, it's not always going to line line up. In fact, you know, there's a lot of times where, like, the company that you're paying money to is not the company that is maintaining the electrical infrastructure. And so you just have these, like, this, like, electrical balkanization of all these different fiefdoms of, like, really, really, really old infrastructure to the point, to the point that they are, they have porcelain parts in their Transformers. Like, Silver is a tech person here. Like, I'm sure Miss Silver could talk about how very old and outdated that is. They were...
0: Uh, that sort of stuff you think that that would be like i mean that's from the old days that's from back when uh, that's from like you know pre-grid unification that's like uh, uh, pre-frequency unification basically you know when we all transitioned to 60 hertz um that's like, you know, seriously old shit. That thing is probably like soaking in PCBs. And I don't mean like boards. I mean that gross fucking chemical that fucking kills you. Um, like, that's, well, that's part of the problem we're dealing with here is there's not enough money to like overhaul the infrastructure because we paid the infrastructure bill up front back in the 50s and, um, We haven't really done anything since. Or it's not that we haven't done anything. It's that we haven't done nearly enough. Okay, but it's like it has to be like a maintenance has to be an ongoing expense. It has to be treated as something that is handled every year. you do not get to opt out of it just because your infrastructure is long lived and that's like, you know, our bridges are falling into rivers and why, you know, Texas's grid completely fucking shit itself the second the nat- uh, the natural gas pipelines froze. Like, this is... Ugh.
1: It's like... I hate this. Yeah, like, but, okay, Miss Silver, I understand what you're saying, and I get that, but don't you understand that if we were to actually maintain our infrastructure... Uh, and uh, do upgrades and make it like comparable to any other country in the world. Don't you know that mm-hmm. if we like avoid having pl- uh, porcelain transformers, then that's socialism. Don't you don't you know that socialism is evil? Don't you know that it kills people? Miss Silver? Like porcelain transformers the are the American people. way of life. Don't you know that? I know that. I don't care. So what? What you're saying? I is don't that care. We should abolish America and upgrade <laughs> our infrastructure. Yes. Yep.
0: I mean, I would be satisfied with the latter, but if it takes the former to do that, then so be it. You know, let justice be done, even if the heavens fall.
2: And speaking of uh, infrastructure. <laughs> we have an interesting development coming Ah. in the world of semiconductor production which we covered previously has been due to a number of shortages disrupting automobile production throughout the united states now yeah the industry association is actually sending documentation to the u.s government saying hey could you like do a protectionism for us
0: um it's not even that exactly it's more hey they do a protectionism for them and china and taiwan and malaysia and all those other places Um, Could you give us that too, so that we can afford to actually build capacity here? Because it's like, the state of high-density logic um, in the United States, the state of that is pretty fucking bad. Like, most of the capacity in the United States is like Intel and research fabs. And that's, that's not sustainable and you add yeah to that the fact that like TSNC is booked the fuck out i mean we can argue about why that is um and part of it is like geopolitical brinksmanship part of it is just genuine oversubscription but it's like it's leading us to a place where like We can't just rely on shoving this problem into Taiwan and China and Malaysia. Um, We're going to have to start constructing our own high-end semiconductor facilities here in the United States. And other countries need to do that, too, because as COVID has shown us, you know, Supply chains that are routed through one country are a single point of failure, and they're gonna. It's gonna fuck us. It's gonna fuck us all. Um, and so it's like what they're basically asking for is give us some direct subsidies so that we can actually build out stuff. Um, because I mean we're very appreciative of what our foreign partners will you know let us get away with but we need to be able to do that here too um we need to be able to build logic factories here we need to be able to build dram and nand and build screen factories um and all of that is basically i mean we used to be like 40 percent Of the world's production. We're now more like 12. Um, The United States does not have. Of its own borders. um, A complete supply chain. For computers. um, For. You know. Basic electronics. For a lot of things. And I, I think this is the right move. But it's like. It doesn't hurt their case. That like. You know, pretty much everyone concerned wants in on this because they've seen what happened to Intel the second they fell off the wagon. Um, Intel, as most of you may have realized by now, they are having yield problems with their latest process. There's a reason they haven't gone to 10 nanometer on the uh, latest equipment, why they're planning on basically buying capacity from TSMC um, for 7 nanometer because they don't have that technology Um, and part of it is just we do not fund R&D anymore we do not fund um, you know these kinds of facilities anymore and so that's that's where we are now And we're going to have to dig ourselves out of this, you know, bullshit globalization hole.
1: And I think it's interesting (laughs) that you mentioned, like, you know, about like supply chains and globalization, because it's like, I think, you Mm -hmm. know, this is an interesting indicator. I mean, we talked about this earlier with Egypt, about how it's been able to survive, not just survive, but thrive in this crisis because it's had this very protectionist and interventionist, like, strategy economic strategy that has meant that like you know building up a lot of their own industry that like they have their own supply chains like mostly within their own country and they have like a lot of storage so they store that and it's like i think it's an interesting sign of it to hear what we're seeing with like the semiconductor industry and how they're asking for direct subsidies because it implies that we're starting to shift from neoliberal capital capitalism to uh maybe still capitalism i mean we'll still see where things go because there's a lot politically happening but economically like a lot of the capitalist class is realizing that neoliberal capitalism is breaking down and collapsing and they're moving to like a neo-interventionist model again yeah because it's Like just in time, like sure, just in time is great in like the best conditions. But under the like the but when it's not the best conditions, just in time means just to break.
0: Yeah, it means running out of resources really quickly. I mean the whole the whole thing about just in time logistics is that you know, when things are relatively good, you can predict with a high amount of accuracy how much you need in your supply chain um, to, you know, to build the stuff you need to build and for your downstream retail vendors to have product. But it's also why... Um, For instance, um, you know, paper launches are a thing, for example. Um, Because, like, paper launches are partly, you know, born of just-in-time logistics. The idea that, like, we need... The ideal is to have, like, zero inventory. Um, And that's fine... In a lot of circumstances, but it really breaks down the second there's a shock to the system. And it's turned out that shocks to the system are actually fairly normal. Like, way more normal than any of them really realized. Um, And they've tried, you know, they've tried making this work for decades, and it's just, it's not going to work. There is a reason why you have redundancy in your supply chain there is a reason why you maintain inventory it's so that you're not bushwhacked by every little glitch in the system
2: Gah. it's and i think that gets us really to our last word
0: yeah yeah it does
2: which, really, I guess the place to go with that is this thing called neoliberalism is <laughs> collapsing. As much mm-hmm. as the thing that's supposed to be unstoppable and inevitable, that obeys the laws of market physics.
0: Yeah, and it's like, you know, this whole logic that like everything can be handled by the market, everything must be handled by the market the market is god uh, every every aspect of society must be subordinated to the market and it turns out the market can't
1: handle that and the market really was, shouldn't it was i mean i think it comes yeah, down yeah. to like one like fundamental issue is that like The this market religion like this. uh, I mean, like when Doc talks about sort of just all the quant bullshit, how it's basically this like magic wizardry shit like it's doesn't it's not doesn't have an accurate model of reality. And when you don't have an accurate model of reality, you can't make predictions that line up. And what that means is that like if you're expecting things to go counter to the laws of physics, your system is going to break down. There is no alternative to the laws of physics. Like it doesn't matter what the free market fairy wants. If the the laws of physics, if it goes against the laws of physics, well, the free market fairy is gonna splatter on the windshield.
2: Pretty much. This is they are running into the immovable object called. This is how the world actually works, and all their fancy theories and bullshit are disintegrating on impact cuz they weren't actually prepared for any of this.
0: Ah. <laughs> oh, God, I I keep I keep flashing back to that fucking stop doing derivatives. <laughs> <laughs> Finance is about money, not writing equations okay, on paper. Okay. It's just spicy math okay, of okay, luck. Okay. But well,
1: what if I want to securitize the weather? I'm sure someone will want to find securitize to do that. the weather. <laughs> I could. I have a thought coming to my head, but in case somebody who's like well known and has position, I'll get, you know in one of these like fucking fancy hedge funds. I'm not telling you my secrets <sighs> because you are evil motherfuckers. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. But at the same time, it's like. Yeah, I I think that we're just in this fundamentally, you know, we're we're still in Marx's world. The rate of profit is falling and no
1: one knows where the bottom is.
2: Just and... that it's a long way down.
1: So wait, wait, wait. wait. Mm-hmm. What it's... you're saying is that Karl Marx is a bottom supremacist? Are you saying that Marx does not like verses or tops.
2: I mean,
0: well, I mean, <laughs> I can't really
2: say, but it, I can say that with things like the IMF going, "Whoa, Egypt's thing is actually working," um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and arguing maybe this thing called not just letting the free market fairy do whatever the hell it wants may have some merit to it. Along Mm -hmm. with the a lot of money is now starting to jump ship. I'd say it's fair to argue that things may be turning. Yeah. Like the money's running away. uh,
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like we are seeing the, the breakdown of ideology
1: ideology Um,
0: (laughs) and because of that it's like that obviously opens up new space for us and I mean it's (sighs) the thing of it is is we have spent all of our lives believing that like you know that all of this bullshit is real. <laughs> that it's like you know when the stock market is sad, that's why you no longer deserve a job. Um, you no longer deserve to work to be able to sustain yourself. Um, and it's like. Sooner or later, and frankly, I'm starting to bet on sooner, the contradictions of this whole fucking mess are going to catch up to us. And when that happens, it's not going to be pretty because we've set ourselves up for like structural permanent unemployment on
1: a scale
0: that would be completely unsustainable under a capitalist. I mean, system. we're
1: not just talking about like a collapse on the scale of the USSR collapsing. We're, what we're well, the indicators that we've been seeing indicate that it's going to be much worse.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's like, I on some level, I really do think that the days of Western capital are numbered because this is nothing about this situation is sustainable. You cannot expect everyone to go into debt to service debt, to pay for, you know, their basic living expenses and to pay for, you know, just enough, you know, disposables that, like, they don't go completely insane. Um, You cannot expect that for decades on end while, you know, you're ripping out the very basis of, you know, that sort of retail um, service economy while you're ripping out the basis of the industrial economy. When you pull out all of that stuff and all that's left is like financialization the only people who can survive i mean not even just win can survive are the people who have actual money in the market
1: yeah i mean like this is like and... think of like theseus's ship like there's this whole idea that like um yeah if you keep like replacing the part of uh, you know a part of the theseus ship over time eventually it no longer has the original parts and it has all new parts and like what is the ship is it still the same ship as it was before now think about that ship think about theseus's ship instead of like you know replacing the parts after you take them out what if you imagine it as sort of a Theseus's game of Jenga? How many parts can you take out to make as much as a, pro- a profit as possible without breaking the system? And what has happened is the people in power, because of the law of the decline of the rate of profit over time, have just taken out so many parts that, like... The the Jenga tower is about to collapse. Yeah, if you remember that um,
0: that one bit in the short where they're uh, in the big short where they're explaining, you know how you know you you two can profit by shorting the housing market because everything is dog shit. Like that, uh, think that, but not just like the housing market the housing market bubble think like you know the foundations of the economy
2: this is everything going this is not just like a few things Mm -hmm. that might have some resiliency here this is large critical chunks of how everything is assumed to work
0: I mean, this is, like, the economic infrastructure of society, and you cannot just keep ripping it out of the walls to sell for scrap. And
2: sooner... So we're gonna find out, probably Mm -hmm. sooner rather than later, Mm -hmm. exactly how vulnerable this whole
1: mess is. And sooner rather than later, the heavens will fall, and when the heavens fall... Let justice be done. Oh, yeah.
2: Yep. So I think that pretty much covers so, it. Yeah. Um,
0: so this was Chop Shop Economics. We read this shit so you don't have it's to. It's your gal,
1: Harley Everyone. Quinn, saying goodbye from all of us at Chop Shop. And my <laughs> co hosts are Dr. Spider, Miss
0: Silver.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> with eight spider legs, you just can't see them. I'm in the studio with Doc, and wow, they are some hairy spider legs. <laughs> and we have Miss Silva, actually made of Silva.
2: Alrighty. Ah. Good luck out there, folks. Bye, everyone.
1: Solid- solidarity forever, and we're signing off.